Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I have to share something with you today. Um, sometimes people say things, and they, I don't know whether they intend for them to come out in the way that they do. I like to think that their heart isn't full of malice. But I, I went in this last week, I needed to see a doctor uh, for a follow-up on some things that had happened, and I'd never met her before. And so I'm waiting and waiting like normal, reading whatever magazine I can get my hands on to occupy myself, and she comes into the room, and the very first thing she said to me, boy, I read your chart, and you look much better than your chart says you should. Really? What does that mean? What does my chart say? And then I thought about Daniel. He lived in the same kingdom as all those other captives. Remember the three Hebrew children? But they decided not to defile themselves with the, the king's meat. And so they were given something else to eat. And even though they lived in the same environment, their countenance was different. You know, we all, every one of us in this room, we all go through the same things that people in the world go through, except for things that we don't bring on ourselves, like smoking and things like that. But we all have trials. We all have tribulations. We all have bad days. But the thing that makes us different is what we eat. It's what we put inside of us that changes our countenance, that uh, we can look better. And so I think the thing that helps us look better, first of all, is the word of God. Eat the word. I'm the bread of life, Jesus said. I'm the true bread which cometh down from the heaven. He also said, make sure you get plenty to drink. I was listening to Caleb or somebody on the way to church this morning or talking about a football player that says what he does to keep from getting sunburned is he drinks a lot of water. And the commentator said, well, I've never heard that one before, but it can't hurt. So what I would say, make sure you get plenty to drink. And here this morning, you're in a place where you're nearest the faucet because where the preached word goes forth, there is a spiritual anointing that goes with it. And in that anointing, there's moisture, there's water, there's regeneration. Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is, for it's the foolishness of preaching that will save you and it will keep you saved. I, I remember, uh, I can't avoid this. Brother Cliff said this morning some things and, and I, I purposed I wasn't going to address it, but sometimes people don't know your past. And I'm, I'm talking to some older people here today because I'm probably in the upper middle class or middle age, middle class, lower middle class. But I, I remember when we grew up, we didn't have an abundance. 
I, my dad just, he had, a, he had a fairly good job. He didn't earn a lot of money, but he's a truck driver, and truck drivers, they don't earn a ton of money. And there were five of us in the home, actually six at one time. And I remember that we ate a lot of basic foods that were cheap. There wasn't very, very seldom we ever ate steak. We ate a lot of potatoes, a lot of potatoes. My mom could find different ways to make them from fried to, to bake to mash to whatever. And when we did get meat, it was, it was sort of limited, and it was usually hamburger. And so when other kids were getting bigger gifts, we usually got homemade stuff. And there wasn't a, we were treated good. We had a good life, but we always sort of just made it through. And my dad had principles. My dad was quite a character. and I've been going through just recording on my computer some of the old pictures that were taken. And as I was looking at dad, I remembered his philosophy on life was, Never, never go into debt. Make sure you always carry your own weight. Always do your share. And don't expect anybody to help you. And that was clearly seen when I, I went to college. And Dad said, go for it. I'm for it. Go. But he said, you'll do it yourself. And I guess that's my, the way my life has been, has been like that. It's sort of like, uh, put on your shoes, tie up the laces, get out and get what you need to get and get it done quickly. But don't expect help. And you know why he felt that way? Was he mean? I never understood it. I thought he was at one time. He was not mean at all. What he was saying to me is, I want you to have the feeling of accomplishing something by yourself. I want you to experience that. And so this morning, I maybe am a little bit like that. Um, I know that God has done a lot of things in our our lives, but sometimes we have to put our feet uh, close to the furnace or close to the fire, and we have to keep walking and we just can't expect somebody to come in and, and pull us out. I know that Paul was frustrated when he was going through a time in his life where he was, uh, had that physical affliction. And he said, I kept seeking the Lord and no person could help me with my affliction. And God was the only one that was able to help me and he wouldn't help me either. And he said, Lord, I sought the Lord three times. I said, well, why won't you help me? Why won't you take my problem away? And the Lord said, I'm not going to do that because my strength is, perfor- is, is perfected in your weakness. It's shown forth in your weaknesses so that when you're weak or when you're struggling, that's when you're stronger because my strength is evident through your struggle. That's why the Bible says, think it not strange the fiery trials that have come upon you. If you lose your job or you get sick or you have a problem, don't think that's strange. Don't think that God doesn't love you. 
It's just the fiery trial of your faith so that you can exert the energy needed to overcome to build your own faith in God. Well, that's not the topic I want to talk to you on this morning, but I felt like I wanted to share it. Um, for Brother Hickey, my, my title would be, <laughs> I know sometimes I don't do that. It makes it hard for him. Behold, he cometh. Are you ready? Some of the basic uh, principles of our teaching, they're, they're based on uh, three principles in Scripture, like behold, the Lord is going to come. That was the theme of the Old Testament. Behold, he cometh. Then you got into the New Testament, and the theme changed to Behold, he has come. He was the Lamb of God. He arrived. And then the last theme, the theme that we're living in today, is behold, he is coming again. And when you look at the biblical uh, cycles of Scripture and on the Jewish calendar, every one of us know about the feast. Hopefully you know that there's seven feasts that were given by the Lord and each one of those feasts denoted something to, to the Jews and to the Hebrews. But they also were a map to Christians so that we could find our way through the doubts and, and struggles of life. Now, Sister Liz, if, you've got, if you could put up that slide, I can see it really good on this one. You may have a little bit of a difficult time um, on the one up, on, on, up in front. But when you look at the feast days, you'll find that there's seven feasts. They're basically broken into three different separate areas. There's uh, the spring cycle and there's the fall cycle. And in between that, there's the center one, which is Pentecost or the church age. When we, we look at the spring cycle, and all these feasts are clumped together, by the way. They're all lumped together in those two or three cycles. The first, the first feast uh, was Passover. That was the crucifixion of Jesus. And if you look at the concept of, of, of that feast, for us it was justification through his death. The next feast was unleavened bread. That showed forth to the Christian the burial of Jesus and it showed us spiritually sanctification. The next feast was the first fruits. Jesus was the first fruits of the dead. That remembers, helps us see the resurrection of Christ. It shows glorification. The next feast was harvest. Harvest uh, was the um, descent of the Holy Spirit. That's where the church was formed. That was the Feast of Pentecost. And it denoted to the church, for the church age, that we would receive power after that the Holy Ghost came upon us. Then there was an interval of about three months. That's the church age. That's the age that we're living in. If we're looking at the spiritual aspect of the feast, that was the kingdom of God. Now, the next feast, this is what we're looking forward to, 
is the trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets. That's the gathering of the church. That's the rapture of the church. That's the resurrection of the dead. But after the, the Feast of Trumpets was the Day of Atonement. This was the second coming of Christ. This was at the end of the tribulation period. That was when Christ would come with the clouds of glory and he would restore a Jewish remnant. And then the last feast was the Feast of Tabernacles. That was the inauguration of the millennial period, the thousand years of peace, where Christ would establish an earthly kingdom to rule. The spring cycle opens the sacred year. The autumn cycle closes it. So the autumn holy days are all about the ending and closing up that which began in spring. In the spring cycle, God speaks of beginning. For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. The autumn cycle speaks of his second coming, and it speaks of the end. I want to tell you this is an appropriate time of year to speak this message because we're entering into, in a earthly aspect, autumn. And following autumn is a period of bleakness, a period of winter. Now, so when will the end of the age be? When is the day going to be when the Lord comes? He will come at the end of the harvest, and he'll regather his people. The trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise and we, with those that are dead, shall meet him in the air. Now, I, I know that at the end, when the Lord comes, the Bible says that God will come not as a lamb. He will come as a lion. In the beginning, he came as the lamb of God. He was passive. He refused to take authority over Jerusalem when they wanted him to. They wanted him to be king, but his time wasn't a time to be king. It was a time to be the lamb. It was a time to be the sacrifice. He was following the feast pattern. But there's coming a day when he'll not come back as a lamb. He'll come back as a lion and as a righteous judge of all the earth. And he will come to reap that which is here. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some scriptures with you this morning uh, that deal with the end times because we're all thinking about it. Let me ask you a question. Have you thought with all the calamities that have happened in the last several months or the last year, have, have, have any of you just finally started to turn your radio off more often because you just can't take, you haven't processed one and there's another? We've got hurricanes and earthquakes and all sorts of, we've got a heretic out in North Korea that wants to send off a hydrogen bomb. And we listen to all these things and it seems like every year it gets worse and worse and worse. My Bible tells me that the whole earth before the Lord comes will groan and travail together. 
Not only they, Romans 8 says, will let the earth travail, but we within ourselves will experience the same travail. We'll feel spiritually an uneasiness, an unrest inside our spirits because our, our spirit is letting us know that the Lord's coming is soon. Be ready. Be ye ready. The Lord just didn't leave you here on this earth to somehow find your way through, but he has laid out a meticulous roadmap with directions because this is a one-shot deal, friend. In other words, when you're saved, you need to keep your salvation. You need to live for God without reservation because if the righteous scarcely be saved, the Bible says, if the righteous scarcely should be saved, what is going to happen to the ungodly? So right now, guess where we're at? We're living between the lion and the lamb. We're living in that period of grace, but that period's drawing to an end. No, no one knows the day, no one knows the hour, and everybody's tried to predict the date, and the Bible tells us that we're foolish when we try to do that. But the Lord, I purposely believe, did that, didn't give us a date because he wanted us to live every day alike. In Matthew, the 24th chapter, I'm reading from a different Bible version here than what um, you may have. I'm reading from the Berean. It says, so as Sister Liz puts it up on the screen, it might be a little different than your version, but just sort of humor me. As Jesus, John, John 24, verse 1, as Jesus left the temple and was walking away, his disciples came up to him to point out its buildings. Do you see all these things? He replied, truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be toppled. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, do you see all these things out here? Do you see all the things that man has built? All of the achievements that he's accomplished? The monuments? When this is all said and done, nothing will be left standing. Eventually, all the things that people try to save, save the earth, save the whales, save this, save that, all that will be washed away because this earth, earth is held in store of judgment and of fire. Jesus is saying, don't put your investment in something that does not last. Don't invest your life in the world because the world is going to pass away. Only what's done for the kingdom of God is going to last. Make sure that you're investing in the right thing. While Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will all this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? It's a great question. Jesus answered. First thing he says to answer that question, see to it that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm Christ and will deceive many. I had an opportunity to sit down with a Methodist pastor um, 
in Waukesha the other day, and she she's actually came on staff as a chaplain. And she was, we were talking, and I, I was amazed at the relationship that she had with God because I, I do that all the time because we in our mindset think that we're the only ones that are experiencing what's going on in a spiritual dimension. We, we're possibly farther along in the journey than others, but God is doing a lot with a lot of people right now. And I didn't expect her to share with such vision and spiritual emphasis what she felt about the resurrection. She said, you know, one of the things that I, I've determined that I will judge everything by, and I, I hadn't realized how bad this was, is if anyone or anything denies the resurrection, I will not have any part in it. Well, we say, well, of course. But what, how she explained it to me was so, from her heart, I believe that Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and I will not compromise on that principle because my hope and my faith is built on it. Now, I believe that I'm supposed to be like Aquila and Priscilla. Matter of fact, you're all Aquilas and Priscillas. Because people are feeling the same thing right now, not only in this city, but all over the world, because they're seeing things that seem to be heralding a major event. Even if they don't believe in God, they realize that things cannot continue to go on as they are, and something is about to happen. And as they seek out answers, all of a sudden, they start to turn to the Word of God. And they're looking like the disciples, well, when is all this going to end? What's, what's going to be the sign of your coming? But God saved you and left you here to help in the harvest. See, the nice thing about the harvest is right now, I'm not trying to look for plants that are still in the soil. When you harvest something, it's already grown. What you have to do is you have to go out and call and pick it. And there's a lot of people that are ripe for picking right now. This is our day. This is the best time in all of history to be a Christian, even though persecution arises. Because people are searching for answers. They feel that their back is up against the wall. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now, look at what it says here. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Yeah, we've heard that. But see to it that you're not alarmed. These things must happen. In other words, we're praying against them, but God's saying, guess what? You can pray all you want, but these things are going to happen because they're heralding my return as the king of kings and as the lion of the tribe of Judah. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. I look at um, kingdom of kingdom. Anybody hear what's going on in Iran and North Korea? And, and with, with some of the things that are 
happening in Syria. All these things happening at one time, and then you take the natural disasters. Verse 8 says, all these are the beginning of birth pains. If you're expecting it to be solved, if you're putting your, your hope in Donald Trump that he's going to bring everything to a place of peace, you're going to be discouraged because all these things are heralding an event. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted and killed, and you will be hated uh, by all nations on account of my name. Do you think Christianity is as popular as it was 20 years ago? Look at where our nation has come in its views of Christianity and of morality. We're, we're probably at the lower end of the spectrum of our religious denominations at this point. At that time, many will fall away because it won't be easy to serve God. It's difficult to serve God. And they'll fall and betray one another, and many false prophets will arise and mislead many. That's why, friend, if you're here today, the major thing that you have to make sure that you do is make sure that what you're fed is the truth. Make sure that you go back into your Bible and you double check anything that's told you because you're going to stand before God all by yourself. You're not going to be able to say, well, that person told me that. Because the Lord has already said in Scripture, beware, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to try to give you stuff that will lead you away from me. Because of the multiplication of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now, I know in the King James it says many will wax cold. And I, I kind of like this definition because I feel that in the last generation of the church age here, that a lot of people are growing calloused. And it's harder and harder to serve God as we go along. And all of a sudden, that, that energetic, that vibrant vitality that we had as new Christians, remember that, running in the rain? All of a sudden, we get older and we don't have the energy. And we just want to sit in our chair. And as Brother Rob said, it's well, it's better to sit than sitting in your chair with a drool cup. He was referring to me. He must have talked to my doctor. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, brother. But the love of many will wax cold. Let me ask you a question. How is your prayer life? If I were to ask, you don't have to answer me. I'm just, I'm just sort of provoking a thought. If I were to put a chart up and I was to draw a graph and you started on the, when you were saved and you got the Holy Ghost, remember that day? Where would you be on the chart over the years? Would you have gone up? Are you more, do you have more spiritual vitality today than you did when you first got saved? Or would you say that I'm still here, I've, I'm more grounded in my faith, but I, I don't have the spiritual energy or dynamics that I once had? I dare say, not to be critical, but to be honest, that many of us would have to say, I don't still feel that same original fire like I used to. 
Yes, I, I go through life and I do those things which God wants me to do, but oftentimes to get a blessing, I really have to fight for it and I have to work at it. That's a sign of the time we're living in. It says most people are growing cold. And it's not talking about the world because they were never hot. We're talking about people that were hot growing cold. Well, you know how to, to warm up, right? The Lord told you the fire. The fire warms the Christian, the fiery trial of your faith. If my, my coffee's cold, actually, I'm one of those guys that I could drink it lukewarm. I just sip on it all day long. But most people like their coffee hot. You know how you make it hot? You put it to the fire. And when I have to warn you because you're asking for things that God's giving you and then you're complaining about receiving them. And that seems sort of redundant, doesn't it? You're saying, Lord, stir me up. Lord, reunite my faith in you. And God says, all right, I'll do that. And my answer is, you're going to have problems. You're going to have diseases. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have rejection. You're going to face uncertainty financially. You're going to have a tough time. But when you're going through the tough time, you're going to get desperate. And it's going to cause you to get down on your knees. And it's going to cause you to cry out to me, which is going to make you hot. So when we feel that God's unjust by allowing things in our life to turn upside down, that's the opposite. God loves you so much that he wants to keep you hot. But sometimes many, when they feel the heat, they'd rather walk away because they feel uncomfortable. They'd rather find a different environment. Don't do that. Verse 14, in this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then will the end come. Do you know that this service, I don't think we're recording it, I, Brother Aaron could tell me, but Courtney could tell me, but you can watch this message in Tanzania. If it was broadcast on the internet, there isn't a place on the world this morning that if it had service, could not see and hear the message that I'm preaching all over the world. Wow! I don't think that Matthew, when he recorded this, had any idea that you could preach a message in one spot and it would be broadcasting over the entire globe at the same time. But then he starts to, Jesus goes and he starts to talk about the abomination of desolation. Verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination of desolation described by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the house step come down to retrieve anything from his house. And let no one in the field return for his cloak. Now we know there was in the Old Testament the abomination of desolation where Antiochus Epiphanes went into the, the temple area and he came into the holiest of holy and declared that he was God. That was uh, an abomination. But there's also coming an abomination 
where the Antichrist will actually mirror what Antiochus Epiphanes did back in 40 AD or 40 BC. And he says, when you start to see those things coming to pass, I'm telling you, it's going to be soon when the angels come to reap the earth. How miserable those days will be for pregnant and nursing mothers. Pray your flight will not occur in the winter or on the Sabbath, for at that time there will be great tribulation, unmatched from the beginning of the world until now and never to be seen again. Now, some people, if you've ever looked at commentaries, they say that this was solely due to the fall of Jerusalem at 70 AD, when the Christians fled from the city of Jerusalem before it was destroyed. But I, I doubt that because it says there will never be tribulation like this tribulation ever again. And I know the great tribulation that's about to come upon the face of the earth has not happened. And it, the Bible clearly says that unless the Lord cut those days short, no one would be saved. So I believe that it's talking about a time in the future. If those days had not been cut short, nobody would be saved. For the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders that would deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you in advance. Now, this is about the third time in the first 25 verses where the Lord has told us to beware of people that preach things that are not true. The Bible clearly states that we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. You just don't turn on the radio and accept everything that's spoken. That's why you should study to show thyself approved, a workman which rightly divides the word of truth. When was the last time you opened your Bible? When was the last time when you really sat down and had a really good Bible study? Do you still have the interest? Let me get personal. I, I, I'm all excited about something because I was studying this lesson and we're going to get there in a little bit and I saw something and I haven't, time to, haven't found time to research the answer to it. And I, I'm hungry because about it because I, I, I saw it this morning and I said, there's a pattern here, there's a pattern here. There's something I'm missing here. And I'm saying, oh, I wish I could find the answer before I preach this morning. I don't know that. I don't know what's going on. But I'm excited because I, I can go back and I can start doing research because there's something of a hidden treasure there. If you'll notice on Wednesday night when I have my, found, my foundation class, when I do my own, I always bring in a Hebrew uh, revelation or mystery that we've never seen before. I just love learning new stuff like that. Because the, tr the truth is living. It's a living word. So if they tell you that he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Notice here, though, I want to point out something. This isn't talking about the rapture. 
because the church is not a vulture. And Jesus is not a carcass. He's talking about death and deception and vultures feeding off of things that are not alive, that have no truth. And there's a lot of people that are feeding off of dead carcasses this morning. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heaven will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man. Now, here's what I, I'm excited about. Notice this next thing here because it's gonna, you're going to hear it a number of times before I'm finished. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. The clouds of heaven. Jesus was received into the clouds. A cloud of witnesses. The word cloud is used over and over again. There's something about the cloud there that I know myself. There's some, there's some meaning here. So if you know the answer, give me at least a hint so you can cut my, my study time down just a little bit. But clouds of heaven with power, great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. Now notice what Jesus says in the next verse, verse 32. He's saying, I want you to take notice because I'm going to give you a particular sign that you can look at to know when the end is drawing near. He says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprout leaves, you know that summer's near. Now who does the fig tree represent? The fig tree represents Israel. And most scholars would agree, the fig tree represents Israel. When, you, when the branches become tender and sprout leaves, you know that summer is near. If there is one nation that has regained some of its stability and proudness in the world, it's the nation of Israel, a nation that was uh, disseminated among the entire earth, coming back, gaining power. That little nation that's probably smaller than the size of Wisconsin is a major world power. And it wasn't that way how many years since? Say 80 years ago. Also, when you see these things, you know that the that he is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows the day nor the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered in the ark. And they were oblivious. Friend, I'm preaching this message to myself. I'm preaching it to you. Do not be oblivious of what's about to happen to the earth and in our generation. But like in the days of Noah, they were oblivious until the flood came and swept them all away. 
Did they have to be oblivious? No. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached for 120 years. The whole known world heard the message. But they were still oblivious because they chose not to retain God in their knowledge. They chose that. It's like the guy, how many times... I, I love riding with the officers, the sheriff's department. Because I get to see things that other people don't see. We'll pull somebody over. And we, we chuckle, honestly, we chuckle in the car. We'll, we'll pull up behind somebody, and the, the deputy will say to me, guess what they're going to say? This is what they're going to tell me when I go up to the door. They're going to say, they didn't know how fast, they didn't know what the speed limit was. They thought it was 65. Well, it's not 65 in the country. So he says, watch, you're going to do that. So we, I remember one time we were in Eagle, matter of fact, and we walked up to the side of the car, and the, the officer said, uh, do you know how fast you were going? He said, yeah, I was probably going the speed limit. And he said, well, do you know what the speed limit is? Because he says, I clocked you at 55. He says, yeah, I think it's 55. <laughs> he said, do you know that just, uh, if you look in your rearview mirror, there's a sign back there that says 45? Oh, I, I thought it was 55. Well, does that, how does that affect judgment or a ticket? I'm going to let you in on a secret. You ever get pulled over and you want to avoid a ticket? Now just put $10 on your pew when you leave and that'll, that'll cover the information I'm going to give you. All right, Cliff, I let you have your way, all right? Never lie. Never do that. Your chances of getting out a ticket are 100% better if you, can say, if you say, you know what? I was speeding, I wasn't paying attention, I was, my mind was someplace else. Because in most cases, when I've been with them, they usually let them go. But if they lie... Or they question the officer and say, you know what? I don't think I was driving 55. I've seen over and over again, that's an automatic ticket. If you question, they don't have egos. Don't it, because what you're saying is you're calling them a liar. And that's when they just get the ticket book out. All right, that's on the sideline. But my point in that was, the signs are all around us. You can't say that you didn't know the Lord was coming. You're driving by signs every day. Don't be oblivious to the fact that the trumpet is about to sound and the church age is about to end. And when the trumpet sounds, wherever you're standing in God is going to be where you're going to be standing in eternity. For instance, if you're living in sin right now and you're not obeying Christ, if the trumpet were to sound while I was speaking and you were left behind, that's where you'll be in eternity. Left behind. Now you'll say, well, can't I be saved if I repent? Well, we'll see with benefits come blessings and responsibilities as well as other things. 
As Brother Cliff said today, he said, I'm so blessed to have the truth, be born, have been born into a family that preached the truth. Well, I feel, Brother Cliff, I'm so blessed out of all the churches in the world that I could have went to when I wanted to give my life to God, that I went to a church that preached the truth. I could have went to some other place when God was dealing with me. But when my sins were washed away and God put on me that white robe of righteousness and he filled me with his spirit, he made me rapture ready. That's why John 3, 3 through 5 says, unless you're born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the tick, your ticket out of this world is a clean and righteous life filled with spirit. To get out of this world and to go on the rapture, you need to have repented of your sins. You need to have your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. And you need to have the Holy Spirit inside of you because if that spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Paul says, that same spirit will quicken your mortal bodies as it quickened his. If any man is not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. That's hard, Brother Kylie. You're exempting people. No, I'm warning them. I remember my brother. He was a piece of work then. He, he really was. But the one thing that he did for me that could never, ever be repaid was him coming after a guy that he never really even liked as a kid. I know I've told this to some of you, but me and my brother were never close when we were younger. But now I look at us, how many people are blessed at my age, to have a relationship with their brother where they're best friends. Isn't that neat? But anyways, when we were kids, we just didn't, we fought. I was always in his way. I didn't like him. He really didn't like me. But when he went to church and God got a hold of him, he changed. Even before he got the Holy Ghost. Oh, Liz is here. I better be careful. She's there. She's a witness. That woman's a witness. But I'll never forget the change that came over him. And I, matter of fact, I, I put the story in, in the book that's getting published. So I'm excited for all of you to read it. But in, he came to me on a Friday night. And you know what Friday night is? What's Friday night in the world? Party. Party. And he told me, he got me aside, and he says, I have to tell you something. And he said to me, I love you. What? What are you on? Actually, that was the honest to God truth. I thought he could, there wasn't another thing that he could have said that would have shocked me more than that. I said something stupid like, oh, that's nice, I love you too. But then he said to me, I want you to come to church with me. 
That's the second thing that he could have said that would have shocked me as much as the first. Church? Nuts? Why would I want to go to church? See, when God gets a hold of you, you get so excited, and when you find something really good, you want everybody to know about it. It's like, for me, I love a marbled steak. And when I get a good steak in a place, a really good meal, I'll call people, you got to go there. Oh, this place is so great. My tongue nearly slapped my brains out when I ate it. <laughs> but he called, I, I remember coming to church, and to make a long story short, because I want to watch my time. Yeah, I'm watching it, Brother Arlene. I'm watching it go right on by. <laughs> But I went to that church service that one Sunday. Was it a morning or Sunday night? Was it night? It was night. About 40 people there at Parkway. And I was sitting right next to Liz and Rick, Brother Rick and Sister Liz. And um, the presence of God came on me, and I started bawling and sobbing. Well... Brother Jacob, in my family, my dad never encouraged us to cry. Matter of fact, if we cried, he'd usually say, stop being such a baby. If he saw tears, suck it up. And so I, I'm doing something that I just don't do. And I don't know why. I feel good. I feel like there's something around me that makes me feel good, but I don't know why I'm crying. And I got up and left, and I decided I'm not going near again because there's something going on in that place. Well, I remember my life fell apart. And actually, that is in my book, too, as I publicize it here. I wrote this whole story in there. But to make a long story short, I, my life came apart. The ball, the cover came off the ball. And it was about two weeks later. Um, I'm in the basement. I'm living at home with my parents. And I keep hearing in my mind these words. This is really strange because God was dealing with me. It's going to be strange that he was, but... And I don't even know how I heard him. Jesus is coming, and you're not ready to meet him. And I was down there smoking cigarettes like a furnace, because I was so uneasy. I, this is troubling me. What does this mean? Jesus is coming. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I realized I can't live like this. And I realized that God wanted all of me. And it all started to make sense. And at midnight, I got on the phone. <laughs> right? Midnight. I called him up and said, I want to get baptized right now. Rick, you got me into this. And I can't take it. Jesus is coming. And I'm not ready to meet him. I felt an urgency inside of me. And at midnight, we all went back to Parkway, and they baptized me in Jesus' name. But it all stemmed from that point, Jesus is coming. Am I ready to meet him? 
And then a week, couple weeks later, we went to church and God filled me with the Holy Spirit and that was the best experience that I'd ever had in my life up to that point. And I remember driving down the road and saying to myself, Lord, are you, is today today? Have you, have you said that lately? Lord, could this be today? Have you, you see a cloud in the sky and there's something different and you say, is the trump about to sound? Am I ready? And I, I guess I'm going to start closing with this because I've got about three or four minutes left. My question to you is, Jesus is coming. All the evidence is in. All the facts are relevant. There's no excuse for you not to be aware that he's coming. Are you lukewarm? Has your love waxed cold? Are, what group are you in? Are you, are you one of the group that have become apathetic? You're just sort of filling space because you don't want people to talk about you. You just come to church because you don't want to have people think that you're backslid. Or is there spiritual energy in your life? If you were to rate yourself today, your temperature, <clears throat> would you be hot or would you be cold? What's your temperature? Because the Bible says if you're cold, he will spew you out of his mouth. He said, I'd rather have you hot or cold because he says, I hate lukewarm, but I'm only taken hot. Okay, the honest question now is, okay, Brother Kylie, you're saying, I don't feel like I'm hot. Well, that's the first thing. Now what you need to do is to figure out how to get hot. Jesus said, I am about my Father's business. The best way to get hot is to start loving people and reaching out to them and putting them first and yourself second. It's putting Christ first in your life and doing whatever the Lord leads you to do. I saw that this morning. I'm not going to say who it was, but I saw someone get up out of their pew and they go, went over because the Lord led them to do that and pray with somebody. That should be commonplace all the time. It really should, because we're here to serve. We're not here to be served. <sighs> Am I dreading the second coming? Well, first of all, I'm looking forward to it. I really am because I don't have many miles left on these tires. And every time I hit a bump, I think I'm going to have a blowout. But that's not only it. I love him. Over the years, I've grown to love him, and I feel bad when I hurt him. He's coming soon. And he loves you so much, you can never imagine how much he loves you. And he's, he's, he's promised to stick by your side no matter what you go through. And he'll even lead you through some things that you'll even question him at. But he's doing it for your good because he sees your eternity is more important than your present condition. 
It is more important for you to enter into eternity, even if it's maimed, than to enter into hell whole. So let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.